Diamantina and her boyfriend got put in put in life in prison because of what I did. On this crackly tape, Angel Resendez, the railroad killer, told me he murdered Daryl Colahaco. We'll be revisiting this claim in a later podcast. But first, let's go back to the tape. You'll remember when I interviewed Resendez, I was I felt a little bit out of my depth because here I was, I'd been a journalist for a few years, but I hadn't really written much about crime at all. And looking back, I don't think I was very prepared to interview this particular inmate. He started confessing to the murder of Daryl Kolahako, and I thought, I've got this amazing story I've got to look into, this is astonishing. And then suddenly, he throws another one at me. For example, for one place, it's in the border between uh, Arizona and California. There were three or four in, in the border. Three or four between Arizona and California. Yeah. Remember they got the, the, the rivers that they buy them too? Yeah. Yeah. Resendez is confessing to multiple murders somewhere along I-10 on the California border with Arizona. Yeah. Can you give me a, a more accurate place in between? If, you, if you're going in the, uh, on Highway 10. Yeah. Yeah. So this by the... So Highway 10 in between Arizona and California where the borders meet on the river. Um, and, and, you, and, and there was three or four bodies there. Yeah. And then no one's ever found them. I don't think so. No. As you can hear, he can't remember the name of the town, but he's specific with the details. It's next to a river that bisects the two states. It needs to be on the border and it needs to be near the interstate and it needs a railway. What do you remember anything about the people themselves like the actual the those people? those they were homosexuals. They were. They are homosexual that are killed. Usually they was dressed like a woman and everything and you know as soon as they hit, they hit the river those little fish come and do you real yeah. fast. Yeah. He's telling me here that the men he killed were gay and dressed like women, and that when he threw the bodies in the water, it wouldn't take long for the fish to eat them. These people were basically drifters. They have no kind of, I mean, you got rid of them and no one would notice, really. They, Is that right? I got rid of them, but they were not poor people. These people were having those bus bargains, and we were very, very nice, almost new. Uh, what cars? The ones the homosexuals were driving? Yeah. Those they were expensive cars. Expensive cars, yeah. In case you missed that, what he's saying here is the people he killed were not poor because they drove expensive cars. I was thinking that she, uh, she or he was a woman, Yeah, but it was not. So how did you find out that they were homosexuals? Or how did you find out they were they were dressed as women, men dressed as women? So when she came to invite me and stuff like that. Oh, so you were going to, you know, basically have sex with... with yeah. Yeah, okay. But I, I was thinking that uh, he was just... So she was a, a female, a prostitute. Yeah. In this bit, he's saying he thought the men were female prostitutes and that he intended to have sex with them. This is how he learned they were men. How did you kill them? Uh, I tried first to hit them in the head with a with a three by three. That looks like a four by four, but it's just just a bit smaller. What piece of what was it? Wood or wood? And it, and it broke. As soon as they broke, I um, I got a pipe that was laying in a rail and. I finished him off with the, with the pipe. He says he tried to hit them with a piece of wood, but that it broke, so he killed them with a pipe instead. From DMT Media and Audio Boom, this is the Dead Man Talking podcast. I'm Alex Hannaford, 
And in this episode, we're going to look into these claims of yet more murders by the railroad killer. So I'm looking at the map here, and there's California, Arizona, and you can quite clearly see the Colorado River that that divides the two states. And somewhere here is, there it are, I-10 basically crosses through the two states. It goes east to west through the two states, and there's the Colorado River. So this is called Blythe. This has got to be what he's talking about, because there is nowhere else where I-10 crosses over the Colorado River that divides California and Arizona. One thing I can see from the the map, though, is that there is no, and I'm zooming right in on Blythe, and I can see that there is no railroad there, which is a problem considering that is the mode of transport he would have used. And if he's right about the geography, which, like I said, it can't be anywhere else, and that there's no train track through that town, then how would he have got there? I'm going to Google um, Blythe, California, and Railroad, and see what comes up. Huh. Okay, so I've found something here. It says there were trains operating daily, except on Sunday or Monday, connecting at Rice for Blythe, and that they are no longer in operation. Yeah, it went to, uh, from the center of Blythe. Yes, it did. Yes, it sure did. It went all over the, like, from here, all the way from uh, California to Arizona and all the way back home and east and everything. Yes. Forever. I mean, yeah, since the early 1900s, right? Whenever they put it in, yeah. There was trains coming here. Not no more over there. There's the system where they close it. Out of business, I think. So in the late 90s, when Resendez claims the murders took place, Blythe had a freight train running through it. But what about the murders? Blythe, please, this is Tina. Oh, hi, Tina. Could you um, possibly put me through to Jeff Wade, please? Um, Matthew's calling, please. Uh, It's Alex Hannaford. I called up the local police in Blythe and got through to Chief Jeff Wade, and I filled him in on the Resendez tape and the murder claims and my suspicion that Blythe was involved. We have no unsolved murders from that time period. I only have one unsolved murder uh, period. We have the body and that occurred in Blythe and we have a suspect. We just haven't been able to to prove that. And that was in probably 2008 or 2010. So I definitely have nothing. And I actually, in 1995, I was a detective during that time period. And uh, we definitely don't have any uh, unsolved homicides from that time period. And I don't have any missing persons from that time period in the city. No unsolved homicides then. So that's a dead end. Or is it? So the feds roll out this database called NamUs. And they say, okay, we've created this tool for a missing persons investigators. This is George Schultz, a journalist friend of mine who used to work for the Center for Investigative Reporting. So a mom reports their loved one missing, their daughter missing, 
knew she had a unicorn tattoo on her ankle. Uh, Jane Doe is, is found unidentified two states away, but has that same tattoo on her, on her ankle. When case information is uploaded to, to the web by all these participating agencies, the likelihood of making those connections increases. So the NamUs database, which stands for National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, was launched in 2009 to give investigators and families access to a nationwide missing persons database. However, the whole time up till today, that database is still voluntary. As of now, that database has roughly, you know, 10,000 some odd cases in it. That's all we know about how many of these cases there really are in the United States. That's it. That's all we have. We just didn't view it as user-friendly enough. George and his team wanted to create something new so that it would be easier to solve some of these cases. So really all we did was take the name as database and completely overhaul its interface. So what they wanted to do was compare the database of missing people with a database of unidentified remains with the idea that if you compared these side by side, you could potentially close cases. So they started their own database, which pulled the data from these other databases so that now you can search for missing people and unidentified remains in a particular area and match the dates and match any kind of similarities. So Resendiz, unfortunately, was not able to give any descriptions, really, of the victims that he said he killed there without names, without ages, without dates. You know, I'm kind of blind in a way, but what this database could potentially help me do is identify within a period of time uh, whether there were any missing people in the Blythe area, but also whether there have been any unidentified remains found, particularly ones that have, had, that have suffered blunt force trauma. Okay, so we're on the, the Lost and Found database. We should start with Blythe, so stick in Blythe, right, yeah. B-L-Y-T-H-E. Uh, okay, this is interesting. So let's do him. He's 25 years 25, old. Okay, guy. now he was last seen in Ripley, which I know is only about 10 miles south of Blythe. That's, that's interesting. But the Blythe Police Department told me there are no missing persons cases outstanding. So does that mean that they either have forgotten this one or that they haven't updated the database that would seem on its surface to be bad to me if the jurisdictions listed in this federal database the Blythe Police Department this is an active missing persons case if this is no longer a missing persons case that needs to be cleared out of name is because it's just a distraction and this kid was last seen in 1998 which was a year before Resendez was apprehended using the keyword Blythe the database shows three unidentified bodies were found between 1988 and 1999. And that's within the period that Resendiz was committing his murders. What are the other... Let's see the other results. So there's there's him, and then we've got this guy who was 91 years old. Now, Resendiz was killing the elderly as well. So really? I mean, there was Yeah, there was no... And he was Possible last... dementia, walked away from a park, located at Broadway in Chancellor in Blythe, in California. In Blythe, California. And the, the police chief is telling you... They there are no, no missing persons cases. Well, they have two listed here. Hmm. So, And what's the third one? There's one that's more. That's really remarkable. Who's this guy? Who's this guy? So he was last seen in 1985. Now, this would have been... Ah, this would have been, I mean, when he started uh, killing. Well, that's interesting. Located in a landfill in the area of Blythe, California. Blythe is in Riverside County and La Paz County is over the border in Arizona. So if you extend the area of the search, the body count 
and the number of missing persons goes up. Three plastic bags containing two legs and two arms, feet attached, hands missing, arms tan and freckled, incisions appeared clean with little bleeding, arms and legs appeared fleshy and heavy, believed to be female, torso and head not recovered. So this is a serial killer that, or a killer that, that dismembers, specific things. dismembers yeah. the bodies. Now, he didn't do that. That wasn't his thing. Mm-mm. I followed the Resendez case for a long time, and there was no murder that he committed where he would have done that to the body. Serial killers seem to have a sort of signature, if you like, and Resendez would bludgeon his victims to death and often cover their faces up afterwards with whatever was nearby. But in none of the murders that he said he committed did he chop body parts up and put them in plastic bags. But it's pretty disturbing and bizarre to find that in such a remote place there was potentially another murder that I don't think Resendez committed. But there's some interesting cases here that, as a reporter, I would want to start calling authorities on and just poke around and see what's there. So I've got some leads. Yeah, you do. That's really interesting. So after looking through the database, it seems that in Blythe itself, uh, in Riverside County and in La Paz County, which all could have potentially been the killing fields uh, of Resendez, there are several missing people and several unidentified dead, all of which are of interest to me. Could Resendez have been telling the truth? Let's go to Blythe and find out. Dead Man Talking is supported by Simply Safe, the home security system that's ready for anything that gets thrown at it. If a storm takes out your power, Simply Safe is ready. An intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe is ready. Say they destroy your keypad or siren, Simply Safe will still get you the help you need. Sure, maybe it's overkill, maybe you don't need to be ready for every worst case scenario, but that's what makes Simply Safe's home security system so great. It's always ready. Simply Safe could cost an arm and a leg, but it doesn't. Instead, they only charge you what's fair. 24/7 professional security monitoring is just 14.99 a month. There are no contracts and no hidden fees. Go to simplysafe.com/dmt today. That's simplysafe.com/dmt to protect your home and family. Back to the show. Blythe, the farming city known for its rest stops on the road to California, is close to collapsing. Not too far from the I-10 off-ramp and the fast food restaurants, you'll see closed businesses, four lease signs, and the only movie theater. Now for rent. It's kind of like one of those cities next to a military base when it closes, except this one's closing slowly. The border town of Blythe has been in a period of decline, losing population, businesses, and most importantly, jobs since the 2008 recession. So I've just pulled into the city of Blythe, uh, California, come over the Colorado River from Arizona, and I'm about to pull up outside the police station to meet with Chief Jeff Wade and see if I can play him some of the Resendez tape and his confessions. Uh, And also, I'm hoping that I can put to him some of the stuff that George and I discovered when we looked through the missing persons files. Oh, hi there. Uh, Here to see Chief Wade, uh, Alex Hannaford. Oh, you can come on in. 
Chief Wade's a stocky guy, very, very tall, with a neat moustache and a firm handshake. Yeah, we were just hoping we could, we've brought my laptop so we can play you the portion of the interview, which I think you'll find interesting anyway. I mean, it'd just be good, be good to get your reaction um, to that. If you're going in the, uh, on Highway 10. Yeah. Yeah. So this by the... So Highway 10 in between Arizona and California. When we go to trainings or, or things out of town, people always say, Blythe, where is Blythe? And I always say it's where the Interstate 10 crosses from California into Arizona. I mean, that's the description I use. If uh, I think it's somebody that probably had to have been here at one time at, at minimum, for him to describe it like that, I don't think you're going to get that description from a map and go, yeah, I think I'll pick, um, you know, where Interstate 10 crosses into Arizona. Why not just remember that it was Blythe if you're going to be making a story up? So I think he definitely was here to give that description um, because that's the only place where the 10 crosses from Arizona to California is Blythe. So that's pretty amazing. He's basically confirmed what I thought all along, which is that this description is so accurate that it could be no other place. How close did the railroad get to the Colorado River? Well, it, it, actually, here in the city limits, it's it's only probably uh, four miles. Uh, it's between three and four miles from the railroad tracks down to the river. That's interesting. So he would have had to have got out and walked three or four miles and then, you know, done his thing and then walked back. Presumably. But that's, you know, transients uh, back in those days uh, – Prior to us, uh, now we have, you know, um, places that feed the homeless lunch and things like that. But back in the 90s and late 80s, we didn't have anything like that. So our transients congregated along the river. So a lot of uh, transient camps in those times, because it was close to water, a place to take a bath, it, it was just as easy for them to stay down there and not be messed with by law enforcement. So that's amazing that he's just told me that hobos, as Resendez called them, used to jump off the train and walk this straight shot, this path down to the river that was only a couple of miles, and that it's totally conceivable that Resendez would have walked this route. I started to show Wade the Lost and Found database and go through the names I'd found, beginning with a young man who went missing in 98. He was last seen in Ripley, which is just south of here. Oh, Didn't the train... Uh, go through Ripley. I, I believe it did. I believe that's where actually it ended. That's I know there was a grain silo that that uh, that had at least had a spur that um, where they picked up the grain. I then tried another name on him, uh, and then this was Ehrenberg, which is right, obviously right by mm -hmm. the by the Colorado River. This was 1988. We're purposely not naming anybody at this stage because we don't know that they were victims of Resendez, and we don't want to give their relatives any indication that these cases have been solved and that, that this explains what happened to their loved ones hmm. um, and that is they have never identified that body either that's unidentified oh wow uh, i suppose if resend is if he committed these crimes all at once it's understandable that maybe the bodies weren't found all at once um you know or even in the same place right i mean that's what we're sort of dealing with here uh if he'd have weighted them down, we will, we might never find them. Right. That is that is interesting. Um, Where do we go from here? What would you do if you were you were me? <laughs> uh, as far as identifying people back in those days, you know, we hand wrote everything. There, I, when I started, there wasn't we didn't even use computers, and so databases for this information. Um, 
I don't think was shared like it should have in those days. And so I, I guess if I was trying to investigate this case and I had an unidentified person like that black male in La Paz, is I, I would resend to current databases that information that was known in those days or, or DNA samples or, or things that we didn't even have in those days. If there was any DNA of Resendez on those bodies, that would have been long gone, because if, particularly if you put them in the river, presumably. I would be surprised. And, and, you know, as an investigator back in those days, that was not even um, a part of our evidence collection, as even looking for DNA. So none of the cases ring any bells with Chief Wade. He also told me that there was no DNA collection back then, that everything was handwritten. And it's clear to me now that I'm essentially looking for a needle in a haystack. I have to remain skeptical about what he said. I don't want to, you know, go into this thinking, he's told me this, this must be true. You've heard the tape. Do you think, as somebody who, with a, lo- a lot of years in law enforcement, that I should be skeptical of what he said? Or? Well, I think you definitely have to be skeptical. And, and whether or not you can rely on on his truthfulness, that's just too difficult to answer. I don't think, um, you know, we can look at both sides of it. You know, if it's a man that's, looking forward to his execution to leave this world, what's the benefit in lying? And then the other side of it is, if it was time out of his cell, of course, you know, they're going to make up and say whatever they can say to get more time out. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we'll ever know and unless we get more evidence one way or the other. Mm. As the chief of police of Blythe, you said, well, I mean, yeah, it's pretty cut and dried where he was talking about. If he was still alive, would that be something that you would want to talk to him about. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's concerning now that he's dead. I mean, I'm concerned that Blythe is a small city, but we have a lot of area around, even in the city limits, a lot of farmland, a lot of um, brush, uh, uh, especially along the river, as you'll see. And um, it would be easy for a body to uh, go undiscovered for 20, 30 years. I mean, it happens all the time. And so it's concerning to me that we have families out there that that don't have any closure because we haven't found these bodies that are possibly there. It's great that uh, after all this time that I've wanted to come to Blythe and investigate this and, and look into these confessions properly, that the first person that I talk to, who's the chief of police here, is actually taking this seriously and that he thinks this is concerning. So as you know, this podcast would not be possible without the support of our generous sponsors. These days, you can get practically everything on demand, like the Dead Man Talking podcast, for instance. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient. But did you know you can even get postage on demand? And that's where stamps.com comes in. As a journalist, contacting sources or possible interviewees, including for this podcast, often involves sending out endless letters. And with Stamps.com, I can do this effortlessly from my home office. If you send regular mail for work, this service is really great. I just click envelope from the drop-down menu, add the address, load an envelope into my printer and click print. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you can access all the services of the post office right from your desk. Buy and print real US postage for any letter or package 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And right now, if you use DMT, there's a special offer. You'll get a four-week trial that includes postage and a digital scale so you can weigh letters and packages. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in DMT. Right, back to the show. Um, would you be able to show us where those camps used sure. to be? Yeah. 
We drove around Blythe. It's a fairly sleepy, run-down town of 20,000 people that serves as a stopping-off post for truckers and travellers heading east or west along I-10. We're here at the railroad tracks. Oh, wow. This is, you can see some of the leftover, and I'll turn around where you can see it, but like this was the control box for the railroad track arms that came through. But Chief Wade showed me where the railroad used to be. There are still the remnants of tracks cutting through the middle of town. He would have had to have come in from that area that he would have come into Blythe. The freight trains are going slow enough, presumably, or were going slow enough that he could just jump off wherever. Especially through town here, they always just came through very slow. Then we turned off the main road and down a sandy track to get to the Colorado River. Now, as back in the 80s and 90s, there are transient communities down there. What is he doing, this guy? He's stuck. Oh, he is. Oh, but he you is. can see this is people come out here. There's still a homeless community down yeah. near the river in Blythe. You can ask him if he's all right. Not, and actually, yeah. while we were there, Chief no, Wade no, stopped to help one of them, hey, brother. whose vehicle so had got stuck in the sand. You, you have a chain or something? All right, go ahead and get it hooked up. What we're looking at is sort of acres and acres of dense, what is it, mesquite? It's a mixture of at least three different types of trees. Mm. It's very, very dense and, and um, it's very easy to get lost in there, I'm guessing. Yes, you can't go very far, about maybe 75 yards. Yeah. He described uh, the cars that, the, that these pe he said these people owned. And he said, what, he described one of them, he actually said one of them was a VW. And I said, well, what happened to the cars? And he said, well, they would have just got thrown away when they, when, you know. But that was kind of an interesting detail. And again, I don't know whether he's mixing up murders. He could well have been. It's not unusual in the summer months for cars, for several cars to park here exactly where we are right now. We're under, directly underneath Interstate 10. So people that come through that want to go to the river, but you know they may not want to pay one of the river parks to go in and swim. They would park here where we're at and just walk down to the river. So in the summer months, it's not uncommon for cars to be parked here. Resendiz had told me that the men he killed here were gay, so I wondered if this could have been a spot where gay men would meet in the less tolerant 80s and 90s. It is a kind of, I, I hate to call it a make-out spot, but, right. but anywhere along the river is obviously a romantic spot to come usually, so that wouldn't be uncommon. Obviously it is a place where gay men could come. Blythe is obviously small and, and back, uh, you know, people I don't think were as freely open uh, as they are now. I mean, it's been 15 years since I since I sat in that prison interview room and talked to him behind bulletproof glass and heard him tell me about this spot that I knew was Blythe, California, and I'd not been able to come and have a look for myself. So it's kind of eerie. We're standing at the exact spot. I mean, we're standing in California. There's the Interstate 10, and, and that's Arizona. So, I mean, this is the exact spot that he's talking about. But, yeah, I mean, if there were bodies out here, you could see where they could easily, easily be uh, secluded in that brush. On the one hand, meeting Chief Wade made me feel that there was a good chance that Resendiz had been telling me the truth. The location details add up, and as Chief Wade said, bodies can go undiscovered for decades in the brush scrub. But I'd be a fool to take what Resendiz told me at face value. He was a mass murderer, after all. I'm starting to believe him, but I'm just not sure. 
And if he was telling the truth about this case, does that mean he was also telling the truth about the murder of Daryl Colahaco? There's still so much to explore. Coming up in the fourth episode of the Dead Man Talking podcast, I'm still in Blythe, but things are less straightforward. And could other serial killers have been operating in the same area? From DMT Media and Audio Boom, this is the Dead Man Talking podcast. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you rate and review us too. Dead Man Talking is presented by me, Alex Hannaford. Producer and sound engineer is Peter Sale. Our researcher and production assistant is Connor Tolony. Special thanks to the band Goodnight Texas, whose song, as you may well be familiar with now, The Railroad, is our theme music. And you can check them out at hiwearegoodnighttexashowareyou.com. Follow developments to our story and send us messages on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash deadmantalking. And please tweet us at deadmanpodcast. You can also email us at deadmantalkingpodcast at outlook.com. <laughs>